1-800-676-5446. Our volunteer phone panel will be glad to help you. You can also contact us with pictures and emails for a future show. That address is byf at unl.edu. We do need to know where you live. Give us as much information as you can so we can give you a good answer. So let's start with some samples. Jody, a lovely little box. I got a box of stinging insects, but today I'm going to talk about yellow jackets. So what I have here on the left side are yellow jackets, and they often have several tiers, and so I've got these kind of flipped upside down so you can see them. The large one there is the queen. She started a nest probably in April, May, so pretty early. But right now is when we're feeling those stings because we may be getting close to where the nest is and they are social wasps, so they're going to sting you. They are most commonly mistaken for honeybees, and so I just wanted to show the difference. And I want, well, I wanted to show that they actually do look pretty small and cute, so that's why they're mistaken, but they usually live in the ground. So old rodent burrows, so wherever you've had voles uh, in the past, which is a lot of people in their garden. So, you know, you want to make sure if you see insects coming and going frequently and guards standing, flying around, that those are yellow jackets. So you wanna make sure to leave the area during the day, treat at night or call a professional. And we do have a segment um, in our YouTube channel that has me in a bee suit at night, wearing a red headlamp, um, removing and treating a, a yellow jacket nest, if you wanna look at that, but. Perfect, thank you, Jody. All right, Terry, what is that? So this is um, one of my nemesises out of my own backyard. Um, this is a Spanish needle. So oftentimes people think it is maybe, um, well, it looks like it is a bidden. So lots of people uh, like this, but sometimes they think it's um, some ornamental plants, but it is pretty. However, this one will get to be about 12 to 16 inches tall. And it's the seeds that you really have to watch out for. They'll be about an inch, inch and a half long, and they have these little pokey things on it that I, I think that if, even if you walk five feet away from it, they just kind of fly in and attach to you, and you'll have them all over the place. These actually are in my yard because they were not taking care of and managing my commons area very well for the past couple years. So they have migrated into my yard. So now that they are my problem. So I've been um, using my soil knife and removing them as often as possible before they get big and before they go to seed. Perfect, and I have them in the shade at my house. So there you go. All right, Lauren, that's teensy weensy. What is that? Well, I have some grass blades out of turf tonight, uh, <laughs> Kim. And, and when we leave the studio tonight, it's gonna be <coughs> 93 degrees. And this is perfect weather for brown patch. So uh, if you have a fescue lawn specifically, uh, that's most commonly, we'll occasionally see it in bluegrass, but most of the time it's just in fescue, but you can see these lesions that have, you know, darker margins around the edge. They're irregular in shape. Um, they don't go straight across the leaf like we do see with dollar spot when it's a little cooler. Um, you'll see larger patches in the yard. Uh, many times they'll take like a smoke ring appearance. Um, and if you see that, uh, there's a good chance you're dealing with 
brown patch. So uh, you can use a fungicide, uh, but you can also just let it run its course and go ahead and overseed this fall. All right, thanks, Lauren. Okay, Kelly, your turn. Okay, mine's a little bit different. Um, I'm focusing on the roots of this plant. So it is actually portulaca, but pay no attention to the plant, pay attention to the roots. And the reason I brought this tonight is because there's a little bit of misunderstanding about uh, roots sometimes. I've heard people say that roots will go in search of water when they need it, they won't. Um, Roots grow where there's water and oxygen in the soil. And I think a lot of people think that um, plants cannot be overwatered. So right now it's very, very hot out and plants will respond sometimes by rolling up their leaves or drooping. And the instinct is, oh, it needs water. So we go out and and we water and we end up overwatering and then that uh, displaces the oxygen in the soil and the roots are end up, they can end up rotting. Um, You know, at the minimum, they'll just stop functioning and taking up water. So, you know, it's really hot out. Plants are going to be rolling their leaves and so on. So, but before you water, check that soil to make sure it's not already wet or moist. We want to keep a uniformly moist soil, um, but we don't want it to be too wet because that displaces that oxygen. So we want these nice, healthy, white roots. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Okay, Jody, you get the first round of questions. You have two uh, on this first one, these came to us from York, a landscape company, and they came via Kate. <laughs> I said I was saving them for you, so it's a cottonwood, and doing this sort of damage to the aspens. So what is this and what to do about it? Yeah, these are cottonwood leaf beetles, and you can see that this is a great picture. This is why Kate shared this. And you can see that they've got the larvae and the adults on there, and they will feed all together and they'll create that um, skeletonization. As they get older, they'll leave that midrib and they do like poplars, so aspens and cottonwood and willow. And there's several generations. If it's a young tree, you may want to treat, um, you know, read and follow the label, you can likely buy something. But if it's an older tree, it, the leaves will grow back and it will be fine. All right, thanks. You have actually three pictures from three different people about these creatures right now. Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, mostly Lincoln. Yeah, these are everywhere. I've got these at my house too. This one, the first one is actually called a camel cricket and someone in your class, remember, they talk about sprickets, especially in the east. They they look kind of like a spider. Um, these ones don't have wings and they have really long legs and so they they call them sprickets. But you don't want them in your house, so you want to just make sure you get the debris around and uh, away and turn off the lights at night. These ones I have at my house, these are striped ground crickets and these are the nymph phase, so they don't have wings at this phase, but they will grow up and have wings. So if you have these around your foundation, you may want to treat, you can treat with a granular or any um, exterior um, foundation spray, because it's it's better when they're littler, because when they do have wings, they'll be more mobile. But a lot of non-chemical things, turn off the lights at night, remove the debris, uh, remove the vegetation around the home and the moisture. All right, thanks, Jody. Terry, you have uh, two pictures on this one. This is a viewer in North Bend, Sandpit Lake. Uh, the lot is 100% sand, as we can see. They have no soil. They do want to seed with a fine-bladed fescue, put in shrubs, etc. They want to know how much topsoil they're going to need. They want to know a fine-bladed fescue is a good choice. And then something about adding a layer of clay first, and then the topsoil over the clay will hold the moisture in. 
Um, so yeah, lots of sand. Um, you're gonna have to probably, this is gonna be a lot of work. You're gonna have to put in at least four to six inches of good topsoil and a compost mix. Um, more topsoil than compost, but put them in and then you're gonna have to till it in. Um, I would very highly suggest using a fescue bluegrass mix. Um, that would probably be able to help you, especially if we do get into these droughts and you can't water them. The bluegrass will actually withstand some of those droughts a little bit better and go into a, a dormancy versus the fescue. So if you wanted to do that, that's what I do, would do, especially on that sand where you would lose more moisture a little bit more quickly. But lots of work, four to six inches at least, because that's the depth of your, your root zone. You're gonna till it in, so you're gonna have a lot of work, and if you wanted to get it done, you're gonna to have to get it going here soon if you wanna get it planted this fall yet. All right, thanks, Terry. You have two pictures on the next one. Uh, this comes to us from Fremont, and he's wondering, uh, he says these are his cucumber plants. What are these, and how do you control them? <laughs> I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but those are not cucumbers. That's velvet leaf, so those are a weed. Normally, we find it a lot in agricultural crops. Um, just go out and pull them out. Don't let them go to seed. It looks like they're just about ready to, well, some of them are to seed. Don't let the seeds ripen and just pull them out. Uh, you can still replant a few cucumbers. Make sure you look at the back. You'll still have plenty of time if you need to replant some cucumbers. All right, thanks, Terry. Lauren, uh, speaking of cucumbers, <laughs> you, have, you have a former cucumber. He says, how about my cucumbers? They wilt and die, and it happens every single year. Oh, and that's pretty common to, to be an every year occurrence if they have this disease. So this is cucumber wilt, I believe, uh, and this is a bacterial disease that's actually vectored by the cucumber beetle. So doing some good sanitation in the fall, cleaning that garden up to make sure you're not allowing sites for them to overwinter, the bacterium overwinters in the gut of the beetle. And not one thing to do about this. Not right now. It's All right. You have three pictures on the next one. Uh, this is Aroma Tomato, <laughs> and this is in Hastings. She said uh, the leaves are turning brown. She also says something about cuke leaves. She says Better Boy is not doing this, but she's wondering what is this disease-based or what? Yeah, so looking at this, all the leaves appear to be kind of burnt on the edge, which a lot of times indicates something with water or a root condition that's a problem. So uh, I just encourage to make sure there's adequate moisture. Uh, if there is, this may be a plant that's failing, but you'll still be able to get some fruit out of it uh, for the season, but just make sure it's watered well. The cucumbers in the picture I looked at uh, as well, and I, that's a different problem. I think that's a foliar disease in the cucumber. That's anthracnose. All right, thank you. Kelly, uh, two pictures on the first one. Uh, this viewer said he's got these pumpkins and they, they're pretty little. You can see based on the, the little rake there in the leaf. Right. He was wondering, will they get any bigger, especially since the one has already started to ripen? Is there anything he can do to make that happen or did he just end okay. up with little pumpkins? Yeah. yeah, it might just be a variety that's a little pumpkin. So no, once they start to ripen, once they start turning orange, orange they're not going to get any larger in size. So, um, you know, maybe the other, if all the other ones end up ripening at this size, then it was just the variety is a small, small variety. All right, two pictures on the next one. This is a papillion viewer. She doesn't know what this vegetable is and she's wondering, uh, she thought it was lettuce, but. Okay. It look, looks like collard 
collards to me, so collard greens, and that's um, related in the brassica family, so it's related to kale, broccoli, cauliflower, and so on. So it is eaten as a green. All right, thanks, Kelly. Well, you know, gardeners are familiar with all different sorts of mushrooms popping up around the garden. Are they harmful? Are they poisonous? Are they harmless? How do we get rid of them? Kyle is going to give us some tips on fungus among us around our landscapes. With some of the recent moisture that we've been seeing, at least in this part of, part of Nebraska, and I know other parts of Nebraska have seen quite a bit of moisture as well, we have a lot of new things that are popping up in our landscapes, in our yards, and in our gardens. A lot of different mushroom questions have been coming in, especially as we've been getting, had a lot, of, a lot more moisture than we were used to, at least for the first couple of months of the spring. Now, everybody wants to know what kind of mushroom is it, and can I eat it? First thing we first, never eat a mushroom unless you know 100% what it is. There are too many lookalikes out there and it's just not worth the risk to consume a mushroom and possibly get sick. But if you are wanting to identify some mushrooms just out of curiosity and to see what, what exactly is there, there are a few things that we really need to look at. And so one of the really important things that we wanna look at is not only the top part of the mushroom, but we also want to see what does the underside of that cap look like. Do we have gills on the underside of that cap? If we have gills, we can be thinking that it's a type of agaric mushroom or maybe one of our, one of our rusulas, um, one of our little brown mushrooms. Or on the underside of that cap, are we seeing something else? Maybe it looks like a bunch of little holes, little pores. Those little pores that we see are, um, serve the same function as gills, but if we look at the bottom of a cap, of a mushroom and we see pores, there we're looking at one of our, most likely one of our boletes. And so that's a great way to differentiate your mushrooms is the, if the top, if the, if the underside of the cap has pores, in general they're going to be a bolete. If they have gills, they're not going to be a bolete. Now, some of the other things that we always want to look for is also what does the top of that cap look like or is there any color change that we're seeing? But also we want to look at the stem or the stipe of that mushroom and because different features along that stipe or that stem certainly can give you some um, better indications about what exactly, um, what type of mushroom we are truly looking at. There's a lot of great, um, great fun mushrooms that are popping up. They have so many different methods of spore dispersal. Right now, especially with this heat coming in, we're gonna see a lot of our inky cap mushrooms start kind of turning black and gooey and just dropping black gunk. And that black gunk will be filled with spores and flies will disperse it. Really very similar as we see with, our, with a lot of our stinkhorn mushrooms. And now the boletes that I talked about that have the, fle the big fleshy caps with pores on the underside Typically, um, they will be dropping spores just right out of those, out of those little pores, so out of those, those little holes. So another way that we can also um, use to identify which mushroom we're looking at is you can take the top of that cap and just tap it onto some white paper, and then you'll be able to see what color of spore print are we really looking at. And so if we are able to get a good picture of the top part of the mushroom, the underside of the cap, and then also the stem or the stipe, and especially if you do have the time to get a spore print, that gives us almost all of the information that we would need to correctly and accurately identify what type of mushroom you are looking at.
Mushrooms do perform that valuable service to us by breaking down rotting plant material. Most of the time, they are really a part of nature's wondrous pageantry. All right, Jody. Well, first, Jim, if I can make just a quick yes. comment on that one. Uh, there, there are some great AI tools out there that people can take pictures of and identify, at least get close. At least get close. So, yeah, so there's some, Still don't some other it. resources out there. Not to eat them. But <laughs> All right, thanks, Lauren. All right, uh, this is simple. This is Snorfork, one picture. Please identify this insect on butterfly milkweed. Yeah, these are oleander aphids, and they're also known as the milkweed aphid. They and? don't usually do any harm. What I do is get a blast of the hose, spray them off, and you've got to do that every couple days. There are a lot of predators out there that will eat them. Um, Perfect. Yeah, let so them have them. you don't want to spray them, yeah. We have two pictures on the next one. Uh, Jody, this is Rudbeckia, and uh, she says, what are these? And they don't seem to be doing any damage, and how do you manage them? Yeah, so this is a different kind of aphid. These red aphids are often found on like sunflowers. Is it Heliopsis mm -hmm. type? Plant? And Rudbeckia is in the same yep. family. So, yeah. I mean, they're just sucking the sap there. If you don't want them there, you can spray them with a blast of hose water as well. Again, there's a lot of predators out there, natural enemies that will feed on them. Perfect. You have one picture on this one. Uh, these things are decimating the eggplant. This is Underwood, Iowa. What is this? Yeah, so, you know, people always say, is this good or bad? These are bad. <laughs> um, and they come in large numbers and will eat uh, voraciously and destroy the plant. If you see them like this, I would put a glove on because these are uh, ash gray blister beetles. So they have a chemical um, cantharidin that can cause blisters to your skin. So put on a glove and knock them into soapy water. All right, and one more picture for you. This, uh, this is so cool. This is on the ceiling of the back porch. He thought it looked like a string of tiny pearls, and then there was a dense web. What is this? Yeah, this one was really interesting, and Kate knew it right away. Um, and it is a kind of spider mm -hmm. called a crebellate spider, um, orb weaver, and these are its eggs. And it lays these in, in this like, yeah, this pearl necklace type thing. And actually the spider may be in there, like along that line. And the cool thing about that spider is it does not have venom. Really? So just fun to look at. Um, it has other ways. <laughs> other ways of killing yeah, something. Yeah, so it's a crebellate orb weaver. Cool, all right, thanks Jody. Terry, this is a cool one too and creepy. Uh, two pictures on this. This is a vine, he's calling it, growing in a CRP in Platte County. They burned at the spring, interceded with a pollinator mix, and the neighbor across the road has this too. This was a fun one. So this is Dodder, D-O-D-D-E-R. This is actually a parasitic plant. So I'm gonna kind of give you the morphology of it. So it's gonna start by seed. It's gonna send it a tiny little root down into the soil to get it up and going. Once it gets up and it attaches to a plant, that root will actually dislodge out of the soil and it will become a parasitic plant with that hosting on that plant. So it's gonna take all of the energy out of that plant that it's all around. So um, the, really the only thing you're gonna be able to do is you're gonna have to pull everything out, uh, make sure that you put it in a plastic bag and dispose of it in the trash. There's really not much you can do about it otherwise. You'll have to take its host plant too. Uh, you will also, um, just a little bit of information for it. So the waterfowl like its seeds and that's most likely how it moved about. Um, but the 
um, pollen and the nectar are actually toxic to bees. So you really wanna try to get rid of that out of your landscape. All right, thanks, Terry. Uh, one picture on the next one and the one following, uh, Seward and Superior. So uh, this is a nut sedge and she's wondering, is it useless to spray after it is big? Shall she just wait? And if, if she pulls it near plants, is there another product she can use that won't hurt everything else? So there's, there's a couple things. You can um, spray it, I would not, recommend spraying anything right now just because it is just so hot. But really one of the best ways to get rid of, of yellow nut sedge, and that's what this is, is just to continually pulling it. What you're doing is as you pull it every single time, you're taking all of that energy out of that plant. Um, yes, you do disrupt the little nutlets underneath there and they can, but you're taking away the energy from those nutlets. So it may take you a year or two to finally eradicate it, but just it's they're easy to pull. Um, just go out there, you know, a couple times a week and just pull them out. All right, and I think your next picture is nut sedge in full flower. So yep. there so, you go. Yeah, so this <laughs> one's in full flower. Make sure that you definitely get those seeds because you'll have the nutlets plus the seeds and you'll have twice as many out there. All right, thanks. Lauren, you have uh, three pictures on this one. Oh, one more, sorry, this one I forgot is a grass to identify, and what is this? I think this is one of the forage fescues. They kind of talked that they had maybe overseeded. Um, depending on how many they have within their turf, I didn't really get that out of the question. You can go out there with a sharp shovel or your soil knife and dig them out. Make sure you get the root out too. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to use a non-selective herbicide and then just overseed. All right. Thanks, Terry. Now, Lauren, you have three pictures on the next one. Uh, this is Papillion. He thought at first his uh, wife, he was throwing his wife under the bus here. Uh, he, he thought she left the trash cans sitting too long in the same spot. <laughs> but that was a lot of trash cans. So what is this? Well, and you can, you can see the rings in this, and if we zoom in on one of the pictures, you can see it's kind of a bleached straw color. Um, I believe this is summer patch, and uh, with summer patch, there's not a lot you can do right now. This is a disease that affects the root system, and you can go in and, and dig up some of those plants on that hedge, and if those roots are dark brown, that'll kind of confirm uh, the diagnosis as well. Um, you're gonna wanna manage this in the spring, though, when your soil temperatures are 65 degrees and then look at an application of a fungicide you can water in to try to protect those roots and try to get good root growth. Uh, that's really the only management as far as treatment. Right now you're just trying to keep a plant with a limited root system alive, so just frequent irrigations, uh, syringing type activity in that area where you have that reduced root system. And if that plant happens to croak between now and whenever it's not I mean, it's totally croaked, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and it, it probably will. There can even be dead rings that you may need to do some overseeding in the fall. All right, thanks, Lauren. Uh, you have one picture on the next one. This pops up in the same three spots every year that get about six hours of direct sun, and this is in sod laid down about three months ago. Yeah, so this is a, a, a type of yellow slime mold. These are actually some of the fruiting bodies um, of the slime mold, and uh, just... Uh, uh, one of 
nature's uh, beautiful pageantries <laughs> or whatever we want to call it, uh, but it's a slime mold. You could take a hose and wash it away. Cool, and it almost looks like little insect eggs. Yeah, that was the only thing when I was looking at it. I was wondering if Jody needed to look I at it. I was like, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> okay, two picks on the next one, uh, Lauren, and this is Omaha. This is white powdery substance on some of the turf. Uh, they're wondering what it is. Is it safe for children, and can you get rid of it? Different color, the same thing we were looking at with the yellow. This is a gray slime mold. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's just, it's, it's living and growing on the nutrients on the leaf tissue, so just taking a hose and washing it away is the easiest thing to do, but it's probably gonna reoccur. All right, thanks, Lauren. Kelly, uh, one picture on the first one. Uh, this is a Decatur viewer. Planted green beans in mid-May. The vines are gorgeous. There are flowers, not one single bean. What's going on? Okay, well, usually when this happens, it's uh, the first thing is make sure you're not over-fertilizing with nitrogen because that can cause a plant to, to be beautiful, grow great, lush, succulent, but stay in that vegetative state and not go into that reproductive state of blooming and setting flowers and uh, setting flowers and setting fruit sorry um, the other thing it could just be night temperatures high mm -hmm. nighttime temperatures uh, interferes with with you get pollination but you might not get fertilization of the flower so one or the other we always tell people to be patient be careful with the nitrogen don't add any more possibly and be patient and hopefully it'll cool down exactly all right and then we have another one this is also beans but She's saying they're flat, they're stringy, and they don't taste very well. Is this just varietal, or what do you think? It, well, it could be varietal, it could be environmental. Um, I have heard that there's, a, at one time, there was a blue lake pole bean that was stringy and kind of flat and didn't taste very good, and they thought maybe it was reverting back to one of the parents, but I, I haven't heard of that in a long time. So I don't know that it would be that. It's more likely environmental. All right, uh, one picture on this one. This is a Creighton, Nebraska viewer. Zucchini are light in color. They start out dark green. They smell like ammonia and they are bitter. And somebody ate one and cooked with it and it made them sick. What is this? Okay, well, um, the bitterness is caused by a compound called cucurbitacin. And so a lot of our uh, wild cucurbits, cu like burr cucumber, wild cucumber, and so on, have very high levels of this cucurbitacin in it, uh, so mammals and insects and whatnot won't eat them. It's bre been bred out of a lot of our domestic varieties. Um, so possibly, you know, sometimes if you might have had a cross-pollination with one of the wild cucumbers or burr cucumber or something, and then that will increase that cucurbitacin. And yeah, if there's high levels of it in there, I've heard this, you know, very tiny amounts can cause diarrhea or stomach cramps. So if it tastes bitter, spit it out. And then uh, ideally you wouldn't, uh, if, if something's a volunteer, um, then you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't want to eat it. All right, thanks. And one more, and this is a Syracuse viewer. What is causing these tomatoes to split? Uh, well, heavy rain. If you had heavy rainfall in your area, so the plant suddenly takes up a lot of water and that causes uh, the, the skin to split. Um, or uneven watering. So if you haven't had a lot of rain, if uneven watering, letting the soil get really dry and then watering quite a lot will cause them to split and crack as well. All right. A uniform moisture. All right, thanks, Kelly. Well, you know, we showed you some onions, some garlic, and some shallots out in our production garden a few weeks ago. They've been harvested. Something new is in their place. Let's hear from Terry out at the Backyard Farmer Garden. This week in the Backyard Farmer Garden, we're looking ahead to fall. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about pulling our shallots and our garlic and our onions out of the garden. 
Well, we didn't want to leave any blank space there, so we went ahead and planted some green beans and some cucumbers in that space. We are at the 1st of August and we're looking at kind of transitioning into that fall gardening. So check what you wanna see, check what's going well. If it's not going well, if you got some of those nasty squash bugs on your zucchini, go ahead and rip those out and maybe you can start some new seeds and be able to get some new plants before it gets cold. We're also going into some really hot weather again and we're also going into most likely some low precipitation times again into the summer. So make sure that you're watering and you're checking all your plants every day. So stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check it out. Right now, of course, it is time for the lightning round. All right, you ready, Kelly? I'm ready. Your first question is from a Lincoln viewer. She wonders, will Brussels sprouts seeds germinate in this heat? Not very readily. And it, the hot soil temperature is what will limit it. All right. And her second question is, when should she start those seeds so she can have Brussels this fall? Well, usually it's late July that we say to start them. And what some people will do in the ground is if they do plant it into the soil, you can either start it indoors or if you do plant it in the soil, they'll moisten it. And then I've heard of putting a mulch or even a board over it, but you got to check it every day to keep it a little bit cooler. You got to check it every day and remove that as soon as it starts to mulch. Otherwise, it'll sunburn. That's heat lightning. So <laughs> we have a Morse Bluff viewer who has a fiddle leaf fig that has gotten too big. Can he cut the top off or are there places that will accept donations? I don't know about cutting the top off. He can try it or he can give it, be nice and give it away. I'm All not right. sure. We have a Louisville viewer who has a tree seedling in a little hydrangea. How, how do you get rid of those? Well, you tree seedling a little hydrangea if it's a little tree seedling pull it as quickly as you can otherwise keep pulling it keep clipping it'll eventually run out of stored food or you have to carefully spot treat it with a non-selective all right thanks kelly okay lauren you ready try hard Try hard. <laughs> try hard. <laughs> okay your first one is i'm surrounded by girls tonight so i got to. i might not do a great job try to give it, give your it. first one is a viewer knows he has rosette uh, Rose Rosette on his hybrid teas. He's pulling them out. Should he add any chemicals to the soil before he replants in that spot? No. All right. The second question is, is there a deterrent of some sort that people can put on their lawns to keep those mushrooms from sprouting? No. The third is... I'm liking these questions. I can win. <laughs> we have a viewer who uh, wonders whether she's got stinkhorns coming up under her cherry tree. She wonders if the stinkhorns are going to hurt her cherry tree. No. We have a Sutton viewer who is wondering about you, what you say about keeping peaches on the counter. How do you keep them from molding? Oh, um, hot water bath. I can't remember the exact temperature. I have to look it up, but uh, soak them in, in a hot water bath, uh, not boiling about a minute and then that'll remove a lot of the spores and it won't rot. All right. Uh, we have an Omaha viewer who has a 25 to 30 year old uh, group of barberries and some of the branches are dying. Is there a disease of barberries going around right now? Pass. I'm drawing a blank on that. <laughs> there actually is, but those are pretty old. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> I like the yes, no. You, you that did one? that. Just, you just did that for No, those were real for questions from real viewers. I didn't make that's those good. up. No, that's good. I like the yes, no's. So now we know we have to say below yeah. more. All right. You ready? Yep. Okay. 
This is a uh, viewer, Terry, we don't know where they're from, who is wondering about fall fertilizer and should uh, he add sulfur or iron to his fertilizer? Uh, not without any kind of soil test. All right, this is a Dodge viewer who wonders about should you power rake or aerate before you seed in the fall? Aerate. We have a viewer who wonders, is there a way to kill the shoots from trees and shrubs that sucker without killing the main plant? And they're saying mowing does not work. Uh, yeah, there is a chemical called sucker stopper that you can actually spray on it to help, but it's not ever gonna eliminate it completely. All right, this is a Bellevue viewer whose neighbor used something called total ground kill, or at least that's the description on trees and a fence, he's wondering, will that spread in the soil and just kill more and more and more? Uh, it depends on what the active ingredients are. Without knowing what the active ingredients are, I can't tell you. All right, do you know whether quinclorac is harmful to goats if goats eat the bindweed that were, uh, was treated with quinclorac? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. We might have to look that, that one up for Dennis next time he's on. That might be a veterinary question. All right, Jody, you're up. Ready? Yep. We have a viewer who is wondering, uh, and we talked Japanese beetles this morning, can you use, he's heard you can use milky spore three times for a couple of years and that will get rid of them. The research is all over the place, so. So no. All right, we have a Sioux City viewer who has six, one sixteenth inch orangish ants in the basement. They've used uh, taro and a borax plus sugar mix. Nothing's working. I still need to know what kind of ant that is because if, if it's a different kind of ant, it may like grease or protein. All right, uh, we have a Bellevue viewer who says they have an ant hill. The ants are walking down the walk, carrying something white, and then going back again and coming back. What are they carrying and they're, what are they doing? They're probably carrying their eggs and larvae, so they're, they're moving house. <laughs> we have an Omaha viewer who has bagworms clinging, clinging to the tree. Is there a way to get rid of them without spraying a chemical? Can you reach them, pick them off? All right, um, this is a viewer who wants to know how to get rid of fruit flies in the kitchen. Okay, if you're looking for the adult flies, you can do uh, apple cider vinegar in a kind of a cup, put some dish soap, and the adults will go in there. But if you want to stop them completely, you need to break the life cycle and find out where they're breeding. <laughs> and you win, you win the prize. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> All right. Kelly, what are our plants of the week? Okay, <clears throat> the plants of the week, uh, this taller, a little bit taller one with purple flowers. We'll let you get to it. In a minute, there you <laughs> there go. go. Um, this is a China purple, it's a tube or shrub clematis. I don't know if I can show it and get it so it's kind of, there you go. Um, it gets about three to four feet tall and then it will die back to the ground in the winter. Um, they grow best in part, part shade to sun and they like good soil. So, and then the other one, the smaller one, yeah, going down, there we go. They're kind of, it looks like they're kind of closing up. But this is a candy lily, Dazzler series candle lily. Um, it's a hybrid, it kind of has iris-like leaves. You can't really see them in here. And it grows up to about three feet tall, so it gets fairly tall. And some people might look at it and think it looks like a blackberry lily, but it's not. It is, and it will not be produce the seed like blackberry, blackberry lily does. All right, thanks, Kelly. 
Picture one for you, uh, Jody. This is, uh, she's, they're west of Kearney. They found this beautiful beetle in the soil. What is it? It's a green June beetle. Good guy? In this phase, it's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Uh, you have uh, one picture on the next one. This is in Lincoln, 50-year-old tree. This is a magnolia, and there's two to follow on this also. They've sprayed with neem. The scale has worsened. So they're talking about dinotefuran or an imidacloprid. How do, you, how do they okay. deal with magnolia so, scale? So that's magnolia scale, and yeah. neem doesn't work, and it also has to do with timing. So um, the timing is going to be the end of August, beginning of September, and when they're crawlers, that's when they're susceptible. Um, they mentioned dinotefuran and imidacloprid, which are systemics, and so I believe only one of them you can get do-it-yourself kind of homeowner, so the other one you probably have to call a certified arborist or a pesticide applicator. All right, and that's true for the next, those other two pictures of the same thing. Right, yeah. and that that's might be... Pretty, yeah. yeah. So then we have this going on with Magnolia. What What is going on with that one? Um, it looks like herbicide drift. Mm -hmm. And I know there is a gall for Magnolia, but that does not look like what it is. All right, so, and that's in Elm Creek. So drift and keep that plant pretty healthy. Yeah, pretty healthy. All right. Uh, then we have, uh, I think, that is that your last picture, I think? Um, one more. This yeah. one comes to us from Indianola. And this is a bur oak planted two years ago, but now it's got these leaf-like growths on the majority of the new. Yeah, yeah. so this is oak rosette gall. And so a gall is of normal growth when, and this is a, created initially from a small, tiny wasp mm -hmm. that may be ovipositing, and it just creates this abnormal growth. So you can prune it off if you don't like it, but it won't, it shouldn't kill the plant. Wouldn't kill it, all right, excellent. Terry, you have uh, three pictures on this first one. This comes to us from Bennington. She, uh, she wants to keep native thistles because she knows how important they are for pollinators, but she, do she doesn't know whether this is native or not. So we have kind of the, the big picture, and then we have, I think, a couple of close-ups on this one. Yeah, I, I think this is the, the noxious one that you're probably gonna have to knock back. This is, looks to me like it's ca Canadian thistle. So make sure that you're mowing it down and using uh, a broadleaf herbicide on it. All right, and not letting it go to seed. Correct. Okay, two pictures on the next one. Uh, this comes to us from someone who wants to know the best way to kill uh, bindweed. Glyphosate, triclopyr diluted, undiluted with glove of death, paint it, cut it back first. What's, what do we recommend? So actually quinclorac is one that you need to look for that actually does better on the bindweed. So look for one that has quinclorac as one of the active ingredients. And yes, I would probably use the glove of death, especially in those where it's in and amongst the other plants that you want to keep. Mm -hmm. And Rock has a really good video on our YouTube channel to check that out. All right, and one more picture. This is a Lincoln viewer. Uh, just one more, It's this is the only picture we could get. So what's going on with the lawn here? So I think there's a couple things. One of them I believe is kind of just the, the stripes of where they fertilized. They also could maybe have either a brown patch or a summer patch a little bit in there. Um, there was nothing any closer, so those were really the only two things that I could come up with. All right, thanks, Terry. Let's see, Lauren, um, you have this very first one here. So super large brown mushroom things under the ash tree. What are they? They appear yearly, more and more of them. Are they harmful? 
Yeah, so this is just the top side. If you see the underside is yellow and spongy, I think it could be an ashpolite. So look up a picture of ashpolite, look at the underside and see if that's the case. And how do you get rid of them? Just pick them out. Uh, they're, they're not known to be poisonous uh, if you have pets, but in any case, they can react. So I would just pick them up and discard them. All right, uh, one pick on the next one. This is a front flower bed. First, he thought it was a fungus. And then we're, we're supposed to be asked. So what do you think? Uh, a couple things here. I'm assuming that those are roots that I'm seeing that are the, the thread-like growths. Uh, I don't see something that would be like mycelial growth like we would see a lot of times with a mat. They did indicate it was across the whole bottom of a flower bed. So mm -hmm. I'm just questioning if something else wasn't there. Maybe when they put the soil in to build the bed, if it's that uniform across the bed. I think something else is at play. All right, one picture on the next one. This is a Lincoln viewer. Is this a fungus among us? And then there's somebody else in the second picture that uh, kind of has are, something very similar. These are bird nest fungi, so uh, very common. Uh, similar here, just different types of pictures. Uh, they grow on organic material. There was also a question if they're poisonous or not. There's been no studies to indicate these are, are poisonous, although no one really tries to eat them usually because they're little. So. All right, and one more, and this, uh, she said, interesting little peach-colored bubble fungus on the tree stump. Yeah, and this one's really neat. So I, I did some looking on this, and uh, at first I thought it was some sort of a puffball, so I searched pink puffballs and uh, found that it's actually related to slime molds, and these are the fruiting bodies mm -hmm. of something that's called wolf's milk by common name, uh, Lycogala. Is the genus. All right, thanks, Lauren. Uh, three picks on the first one here, Kelly. Okay. Uh, these are pines are not looking the best. His real quick, and this is in Ida Grove, Iowa. Okay. She's wondering if she can uh, go ahead and just cut those, cut out the dead, and, and start over and end up with a tree. Um, you won't end up with a tree. It'll just kind of stay that little stump, shrubby little shrub. So if you really want to evergreen, uh, replace it. All right. Two picks on the next one. This is a Bennett viewer, um, and this is ash, about 30 years old, never really healthy. It's got all sorts of things going on, sizable wounds in the trunk. Should they turn it into firewood or uh, try to save it? Well, it's an ash, so eventually it'll probably get emerald ash bore, even if it's not in that area yet. And But the, the picture here of the trunk, obviously, there's probably what we call mowaritis or weed trimmeritis that caused that damage and that wound, and that and looks like there could be some decay in there and so on. So this would be an ash tree that we definitely would not recommend treatment for in, in, in the future. And the sooner, probably the sooner it's removed, the better. You can hang on to it for a little while and enjoy right. the shade. Then we have... Uh, an evergreen here and uh, a spruce, and this is North Berm disease sort of soaker hose. They wonder what's going on on this one. And then we have two that are council bluffs that are also uh, evergreens that are spruce. So we have two different spruce issues here. Okay, I, yeah, I really couldn't, the, these, the ones that we're looking at right now were just planted this spring and it's very unlikely that there would be a disease that soon. So it's look at, look at your watering, look at how deep it was planted check the soil, it's, it's just, for some reason they, they're not transplanting very well and they're, they're suffering. Uh, the tall, that tall narrow one, um, it looked pretty good to me. I know there's some uh, bare branches at the bottom. Um, just make sure water's not hitting it. I, again, I really, I'm not really sure what's going on there. It doesn't look too bad, I, don't, I didn't think. All right, thanks Kelly. Well, Nebraska always has thunderstorms roll through this time of year and that can really tear up our trees. Jeff is here for our second feature to tell us how we can safely clean them up and perhaps save some of them. 
We've had a lot of storms roll through the state here in the last few weeks. Uh, some high wind. I know we had some 50 mile an hour winds here on campus. And so when that happens, it's not unusual to have some damage to our trees, especially our bigger trees. So a few things to think about after a big storm. Um, the first thing I would suggest you do is, after things have calmed down, go out, do a quick survey of the area, make sure that you don't have any damage to your trees. Uh, and in particular, you wanna look at areas where we have pedestrians or vehicles going. You know, if you have a sidewalk, something that you have kids going up and down the street, you're gonna to wanna to make sure that you look at those areas first. And then if you do have some branches that are damaged, certainly anything that's down, we wanna get picked up and out of the way. But if you have some branches that are broke, that are hanging from the tree, uh, if it's something that you can reach safely, then certainly you can go in and try to take that branch down, finish the break, finish cutting the break, and then assess it at a later date as far as how much cutting you need to do. A lot of times the question will be is, what's the percentage? Uh, and folks will put out a percentage, take th a th no more than a third, no more than a quarter. I, I really suggest you take as little as possible this time of year when you're doing any kind of storm removals. And if you have concerns about the height, how high a certain branch is to get to it, then that's when you need to call a professional in. If it's something that isn't too high uh, and is a bigger branch, you're gonna wanna look at using the three cut method to remove the branch. And that's where you come in, you take an undercut, take the branch off, and then you go back to the branch bark ridge, which is right next to the main stem, and at a 45 degree angle, take the remaining stub off the tree. After you've done that, then you know that that tree is safe. Uh, if you have a split trunk, which we've seen a few of those here on campus, with, with a tree that might have kind of a broader crown to it, sometimes you'll see that where a, a crown will split. There's, it's unlikely that that tree is gonna survive that. You can take one half or the other, but you've really weakened that tree. And at this point, it's, it's time to consider removal. So that's something to think of if you have a situation again, uh, where the trunk has split. You'll see that many times with maples in particular, uh, that you'll have the split trunk. But again, I think the, the most important thing is, is make sure that the area is safe. Um, get any of that down, make sure that you're doing it safely with all your proper safety gear. You have your safety glasses, gloves, if you need a hard hat, if it's something above your head, uh, make sure you get something like that to protect yourself. Or again, call a professional in to make sure they take a look at those trees. We've all seen the videos online of people getting injured or having very catastrophic things happen as they try to do things that are really above their abilities. So it's important to bring in a professional to look at something before you get too far along in the process. We cannot stress it enough. It's okay to do some trimming if your feet are on the ground and it's just a few branches. Please leave that heavy stuff to the professionals. All right, we have one announcement and this is a fun one. This is the Lincoln Iris Society sale, July 29th, 10 to four, St. Andrews here in Lincoln for all of you who are iris lovers. Okay, Jody, one picture on the next one. Um, this, is, uh, this is a viewer who has uh, these little egg things on his linden. Do we know what these are? Yeah, these are stink bug eggs, but oh. what's coming out of them are actually parasitic wasps. So you've got some free pest control there. 
Perfect. All right. So nothing to do other than... Nope. Nope. We're taking care of it. All right. Then we have this, uh, just a question. This is an Omaha viewer. She wonders what we can tell her about this beautiful moth or butterfly. Yeah, it is a beautiful moth and it's, it's a female imperial moth. All right. And isn't it National Moth Week? It was, I think, was last, last week, week. But yeah, yeah this yeah. it's beautiful and we don't see them in all of Nebraska. So enjoy it. Perfect. All right. Two on the next one. Excuse me. This comes to us from Bellevue. Wondering all these bees on this ornamental grass. What are they? Okay. So first of all, I love this picture and I actually encourage people to send these. These are longhorn bees. They're males having what we call a slumber party. <laughs> so the female bees, you know, they're busy. <coughs> they get to sleep in the burrows. So these are ground nesting bees and the males right at night. So if you've ornamental grasses, they will attach their mandibles to it. Um, in the evening, stay like that all night. You can go out in the morning, drink your coffee and see the cutest bees. But again, they're the male bees having a sleepover. Perfect. All right, Terry, three picks on the next one. This is a North Platte viewer wondering uh, how to manage these weeds. They haven't responded to pretty much anything. What are they and what, what do we do? Well, um, this is a Palmer amaranth. Um, so unfortunately, the best way to manage this is go out, mow it down as much as you possibly can, and then you're probably going to have to use some kind of broadleaf weed killer on it. So don't let it go to seed. One plant could have over 10,000 seeds to it. All right. One picture on the next one. This comes to us from Blair. And uh, what do we think this pesky weed is and how can they be eradicated? So this is spotted spurge. So we've talked about that some on the show there's a couple of things that you can do. They're pretty easy to actually pull out. All you have to do is kind of get your finger right down at the center of the plant and pull it up. There's just kind of one little root that can pull up. Um, otherwise, you can use a broadleaf weed killer to, to spray on it. All right, and one more, and this one is uh, False City. What is this and how do we eradicate it? Um, this is a giant ragweed and Again, keep mowing it, don't let it go to seed, um, and then you're gonna use a broadleaf weed killer on it. All right, uh, Lauren, two pictures on the very first one. So this is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they're wondering about whether this mushroom will affect the harvesting and safety of oregano, and this is in a container. Yeah, it shouldn't have any effect. This is, this is interesting, this is a flower pot parasol mushroom uh, that's, Fairly common, can be brought in with wood chips and mulch in, in these potting materials. So it's actually called flower pot. Flower pot parasol. That's flower fun. Pot. Yeah, it's a fun one. All right, so then you have uh, one picture on this one. Saw this in the yard of a cabin up uh, along the Platte River, northwest Sarpy County. It's in sandy soil. What is this? Uh, it could be a Lepiota species. I can't really tell because just like Kyle was showing earlier, we need to see the underside of it to see what it looks like. Uh, but if it's larger, the uh, way it looks, it could be a lepiota. Okay, and, and so this might be the one that last week, I think, uh, Kyle, somebody called it a pancake mushroom. Well, it could. It could be very large. Some of those are very large, and even in the sand hills, if you're driving through, you can see large rings of, of, of mushrooms in the grass from a great distance, and they'll be over a foot. Oh, my goodness. Really large. <laughs> All right, and you have one more, and this is... Uh, 
This is an Omaha viewer. She says this is the second year this is showing up at the base of an ornamental crab apple. She wonders if we can identify it. Is it safe around pets? Is it as edible? And oh gosh, is this good on the tree? <laughs> it's uh, well, several things. No, uh, not good on the tree. Uh, most likely resulting from uh, crown root rot on the tree. This fruiting structure is so. I would start thinking about replacement on this tree. Um, it can reduce the integrity of the, the actual main trunk of the tree, so it could be a hazard tree. If it's larger and near a house, I would be concerned about it for removal. Don't let your pets eat any fungi. Just avoid that. All right, thanks. Uh, Kelly, you have one picture on this first one. This comes to us from Columbus. Okay. Uh, they say they purchase and pot up a, a new hibiscus every single year. Mm -hmm. The leaves on this one, and it looks like even the new growth, are beginning to yellowing. Mm -hmm. What should they be doing? Well, it looks like classic chlorosis because the leaves are yellow. <clears throat> we all have that problem tonight. Excuse me. The leaves are yellow and the veins are still green. And usually that, that's chlorosis, and it could be a lack of iron. It could be a lack of manganese. It's a little unusual in a pot, a little unusual on hibiscus. But I guess I would try, again, make sure you're getting good drainage. Make sure you have healthy roots. Um, you could try uh, maybe a, an iron sulfate or something like that. Be careful because it can burn and see if you get a response. All right, and they don't really say whether they've changed the potting soil either. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. If you don't get a response, then I would repot it into maybe a maybe a soil that says it's for azaleas. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Then you have an ID on this next one. This is in Omaha, woody perennial vine. The flowers are about half an inch across, and I think we have two pictures of this one. Yeah, this is matrimony <coughs> vine, um, also known as wolfberry, and these can get about eight feet um, and. The, the berries are actually edible. Yeah, I think this is this becomes the goji berry that uh, is a super fruit that is dreadful. <laughs> we have yeah, they they can be pretty rampant. Uh, yeah, and and never die. We ha we have them in the backyard farmer garden. We've tried to kill mm -hmm. them for ten years. All right, uh, you. I think you have one more. Okay. And this is a Bellevue viewer, and um, they bought four plants at the beginning of the season. They thought they purchased butternut squash or winter squash. Is there any way really on this to tell well, it, it, what it is? It's not butternut, it could be buttercup. Um, there's one kabochi or something like that. That's uh, the cucurbitacea maxima. Um, I think it's a Japanese squash. There's, there's different ones in there, but it's not butternut, but butter, if it was buttercup, it would kind of have a scar on the bottom. Um, but I still think it's a winter squash. I'd let it grow out and Hopefully they'll be tasty. Let it uh, turn whatever color it's yes. going to turn and mm -hmm. do the scratch test, right? Right. Mm -hmm. We did have a, a, a gardener in Lincoln this year, or actually this week, who has butternut squash that is really almost ripe already. Mm. I mean, she's it's nice, it's big, it's yeah. yep. almost ready yep. to eat, and it's, oh my goodness, that's kind of a little that, late that, that for... Early. <laughs> yeah, early. It's yeah, early. Early for that so. to be... Be ripening like that. It is. So.